Hello, friends, and welcome to the Living Truth Podcast. I'm Kristen Carey. I'm hosting today, and I'm very eager for this interview with Barb Winters from Hopeful Mom. Barb, thank you for joining me on the Living Truth Podcast today. I'm so excited to be here, Kristen. Mm. You guys, I'm going to tell you about Barb. She is uh, a wife and parent to four adult children. Her husband is a pastor. And when one of her sons was 14, he confessed to watching pornography. The son, that is, not the husband. Barb was shocked, mad, and ashamed, and she questioned her parenting skills. The stigma surrounding the behavior, this behavior of pornography use, kept her from talking to others, so she suffered in silence. The pain and emotional turmoil left her feeling empty and alone. And since then, Barb has launched her website, hopefulmom.net. This is a place for parents, grandparents, and caregivers to find support, encouragement, and practical tips for parenting in a digital world. Barb is a certified sexual risk avoidance specialist. She's done extensive research on the harms caused by pornography and equips youth at local schools to avoid risky behaviors and make healthy choices. This is such a huge need. And this is what we're going to talk about today, you guys. Barb's new book is about to release in August 2023. And the book is called Sexpectations, Helping the Next Generation Navigate Healthy Relationships. I love that title. I love the topic. Barb, thank you for writing this book and for creating this ministry. It is so needed. Tell me what motivated you to write this book. Well, first of all, you know, it started eight years ago when my son was 14 and we learned that he had been watching pornography and we had no idea, literally none. It completely blindsided us. Um, And when we learned, uh, I had all the feels, you know, I felt guilty for one. I, he was, he was my baby. You know, I was supposed to be taking care of him and here he is watching pornography and um, without my knowledge. And, you know, we had taught him all these biblical principles. He's a pastor's kid. We were homeschool family, all that stuff that you think equates to my son's going to be perfect and grow up and never do these things. Right. And when I found out, I just, um, you know, I was devastated. So I felt sad. I felt angry and I was angry at the world. You know, I didn't know whether I should be angry at him or at his dad or at, um, the porn industry, which is where I finally decided that I should be angry. And mostly I felt alone because who am I going to tell? Right. You know, I'm not going to tell my congregation and I'm not going to tell my best friend who has a son who's friends with my son, you know, who am I going to tell? So I, um, was silent. I told, um, one friend who lived a couple of States away and she could not very, she could, she could speak truth to my life, but she couldn't relate experientially because it hadn't happened to her. Um, and you know, we didn't even tell our family members. So we tried to help him and we did what we could and we put, you know, filters in place. We, um, put his phone in the kitchen at night, all these things. But uh, about a year and a half later, he told us he was still struggling with this um, pornography. It actually was an addiction. So at that time, you know, we really buckled down and were able to help him. It took several more years, of course, for him to break free completely. But in that process, in those years, I started doing a bunch of research 
and I found out how prevalent pornography is in society, as you know, because you've done all this research too. And I thought to myself, well, why aren't we talking about this? I mean, if if almost every child is seeing pornography at some point before their 18th birthday, then why isn't this something that we are discussing with each other and with our children? So I decided I was going to be the one and I hung my hat and I said, I'm hopeful mom and I'm here to help um, other parents who find themselves in the position that I'd been in. Now, since that time, it has grown, it's morphed, it's it's um, graduated into other problems. And uh, like you su- said, I am a sexual risk avoidance specialist and I go into schools and I talk with students about avoiding risky behaviors and making healthy choices. And somewhere along the line, I decided I should write a book. And uh, with the help of several people, um, we landed on this topic of expectations and uh, helping the next generation navigate healthy relationships. And it is faith-based. So um, we use a lot of scripture in there, to, uh, but I also use a lot of stories and a lot of things to help relate to individuals and try and figure out, well, what can I be doing as a parent to help prevent any sort of situation like this in my home. Um, but also what can I do if this comes about? Um, and I mostly focus in on what is a healthy relationship, right? Because mm-hmm. if we talk about what is a healthy relationship, then it'll become a little more clear on what is not a healthy relationship. Mm. So, yeah, I'm curious to hear what you would, and this book is more geared towards parents, or caregivers than teens. Yes. It's specifically for the caregiver, the educator, the the youth leader, a parent, someone who's trying to speak into a preteen teen or a youth's life. That's Mm. the, that's the audience. Yes. Awesome. That's so awesome. So how would you define a healthy relationship, which is, I think what everyone deep down wants, right? I mean, we're created by God for connection. Yeah. How do you define that? Yes. So in the book, I spend a whole section talking about habits of healthy relationships. And we talk about love and the difference in the various loves, like, you know, agape love, of course, is the highest form of love. And so we break that down. What, what, what does God talk about in first Corinthians 13? What type of love are we referring to there? And then I talk about, um, mutuality and what does that look like? You know, especially in line with, you know, uh, we have this whole thing in our minds about submission and what does this look like and heads of household and all these terms that, you know, Christian people throw out and then we are all freaking out over it. So, you know, I kind of look at that. Well, what does this mean? What's mutuality look like? And how do we set healthy boundaries within that, that uh, healthy relationship? And I talk about selflessness. So what does selflessness look like? Again, the agape love, um, but not the doormat type of thing. So what, you know, what's the difference there? And then the last chapter in that particular section is about communication. So how do we communicate in a healthy relationship? Because of course we need to express ourselves, um, but we also need to do it in a manner that's not demeaning or hurtful or painful. And, uh, I think it was in that chapter, which I talked about all my blunders as a parent, because, you know, I have to say that I certainly did not do it 
perfectly, uh, as most of us don't. Um, so, you know, learning over the 20 some years of being a parent, you know, what did I learn? What did I do wrong? And then now how would I change that? Or how can I help the next generation learn how to parent their kiddos mm -hmm. based on what I've learned over the years? I'd love to hear specifically what you learned in terms of how to effectively come alongside your son when you found out he was struggling with pornography. Sure. Like, I'm sure you made mistakes too, because we all do, right? But what were some of the things that you did that you think were really effective and helped him in his path towards freedom? Sure. The first thing I can think of when you ask that question is what, what I did the very first conversation. So we found out our son, um, he, it was through, he, he confessed, but it was because he was being um, bribed. So he, there was this screen that popped up on his, uh, um, this warning that popped up on his screen that said that if he didn't pay money, they were going to send the police and have him arrested. So that's how we originally found out. He was freaking out. He was panicking. There was all this chaos going on. And so, of course, I flipped out at first. Like, what were you doing and why is this happening and all that? And, of course, at, I started accusing him and, and crying. And anyway, I'm, I can be dramatic. <laughs> so, but... But in the course of the conversation, I calmed down. And by the end of the conversation, which was pretty lengthy, uh, we were in our bedroom, my bedroom, um, with my husband. And he was there. And I, I literally sat next to him on the bed. And I put my arm around him. And I said, we are on your side. We are here to protect you. We are we are going to put some boundaries in place. We're going to make some changes in the house, but we're doing that not because we are punishing you for something that you've done, but because we are protecting you because we love you. And it's our job as your parents to take care of you. Yeah. So I think that is the first thing that I can say that I think I did well was that I communicated with him. And I also said, I love you. And I, I love you unconditionally. And I don't think our kids hear that enough. And especially when they're 12 to 18, whether they roll their eyes at us or slough us off or whatever, they still need to hear us say, I love you. And it's not based on behavior. So you can mess up and I will still love you. We'll take care of the behavior, of course, but I still love you unconditionally. And I think that this is a message that parents don't understand how important it is to say out loud. We assume they know, but I can remember as a teenager growing up and even now, you know, as a woman married to a husband and we've been married forever and ever and ever. And I know intellectually that he loves me unconditionally. But I want to hear it. I want to see that that love is unconditional on a regular basis. And if we can um, do that with our kids, then that's going to be very helpful. The next, the next thing I did is that we, we started talking about it. I mean, it was very uncomfortable. Very, very, very uncomfortable. These are not words I ever said before then. I didn't go around talking about pornography and masturbation and sexually deviant behavior and sexual exploitation and human trafficking. I mean, these are all words I would not have said. And so, um, you know, we opened that door of talking about it so that when later he knew he was still in trouble, 
he knew he could come to us because we had kept that door open and we were available to him. Mm, that's so important. At this point, Barb, um, but or before he was 14, had you ever had conversations with him about pornography, educating him about what it was? I mean, no, sh- no shame here. We're a bunch of digital immigrants raising yeah. these digital citizens <laughs> and especially women, right? Who were not growing up online. We, we tend to just not realize like how prevalent this is until it hits us in the face like this. Yeah. We didn't know what we didn't know. I mean, and I said that to someone yesterday because they were asking what I wrote and I was, we were in a public place. So I was kind of being a little bit elusive, but, oh, you know, parents, they don't blah, blah, blah. And I thought, I said, well, you know, we don't know what we don't know. And that's kind of where I was. And I, I had had a conversation, at least one about, about sex and puberty and development, but it was like. Um, I had a book because, you know, we homeschooled and like a lot of parents were taught to do, like, you know, my parents did with me, you know, we get the book, we open the book, we read the book, we shut the book and we say, okay, that's over, you know, have a nice life. Good luck. Um, if you have any questions, talk to your dad, move on. So, you know, we had the talk, but yeah, we can't do it like that anymore. So no, I, I don't know if I had talked about pornography. I do know that there had been a rumor at some point in one of the schools that my older kids had been in that, that somebody was sexting somebody. And so I I remember flipping out about that and just giving a warning, like, don't do that. Oh, wait, never do that. Okay, and move on. Yeah, because um, you really would rather not touch this topic with a 10-foot pole, right? Right. I, I think this is so important. And I want to bring up, two resources to our listeners for kids. And when people ask me what, at what age should I start talking to my kids about pornography? I suggest using um, good pictures, bad pictures. I'm sure you know about that. And good pictures, bad pictures is a book that was written by a therapist and it's developmentally appropriate for kids ages seven to 11. When it was written, it became clear that seven to 11 is too late to have your initial conversation. So they wrote Good Pictures, Bad Pictures Junior, which is for ages three to six. Yeah, And it's developmentally appropriate. I know parents might be freaking out like, I'm not talking to my three-year-old. It's a picture book. And they do a really great job of yeah. presenting this topic without traumatizing or over-sexualizing our kids. But we don't have the luxury anymore of avoiding this topic. We can't do that if if we want to set our kids up for success. And even then, I think, Barb, I don't know if you can relate to this. I know myself and a lot of other parents that I've talked to, we even think we're doing all the right things. I mean, we do ongoing conversations. It's just, it's an illusion of control to think that we can completely protect our kids and prevent them from being exposed to pornography or from getting addicted when they see it. It's highly addictive on a brain level. This is not a willpower, moral level issue alone, right? And so I think it's so difficult um, for us, especially when so many of us never had parents that gave us good sex education, right? Most Most parents that I talk to say like two thirds either had one conversation that was awkward and never again, or no conversations with their parents. Right. Right. 
Right. We and can't actually, do if you think about it, the earlier you start, the easier it is. We oh, think yeah. the opposite, but the earlier we start, the easier it is to have those continued ongoing conversations. And I, I like to say, you know, we tell our kids don't run in the street because you're going to get hit by a car. Don't touch the stove because it's going to hurt. Why can't we just add to that list? Don't watch pornography because it's bad for you. You know, it, when we start yeah. at a young age and we just talk about it in life, like it's a life lesson and we're just use regular tones and, and, and it's not a big deal. We don't hang our heads in shame. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, you know, don't whisper or turn blush or whatever, you know, it, then our kids understand, Oh, you know, and we become the experts. We become the ones that they know they can come to because we're, we're not afraid to talk about it. Right. So when they run across it, when they're six or eight or 10 and their friend on the playground puts their phone in their face and says, look at this. Yeah. They know, Oh, mom taught me, shut my eyes, turn away, go tell someone. And I can go to mom and say, Hey mom, you know, little Joey across the street just showed me some pornography and you know, they feel safe coming to us. Hmm. Do you know how old your son was when he first was exposed? Probably nine or 10. He, he's not sure exactly, but when we do, you know, looking back and trying to figure that out, it was probably around nine or 10. So yeah, it was a long time before we found out. Was, do you think he was looking at it regularly from that point until he was 14? Yeah. I mean, on and off, I think it started out slow, but by the time he was 14, it was a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. I know this is heartbreaking. So for those of you who are listening right now, take a couple deep breaths. This is scary. Barb, it's scary, right? I mean, it absolutely overwhelming is. And it's absolutely. hard. The biggest but we cannot avoid this. No, no, we can't. And I mean, good news. This doesn't define them. I mean, good news. In the end, my son got the help he needed and he's walking in freedom from this. So we always want to leave with hope, right? We don't yeah. want anybody hanging their head and thinking, oh my gosh, the end of the world's coming. No. no. And so how did he find freedom? Uh, mostly intrinsically desire. So, you know, it's, we can do everything possible to keep them from it. And, and we should, absolutely. It's our job to protect them, but we cannot keep them from, from finding it for sure. I mean, you've already mentioned that like, look, you know, I, I highly recommend filters. I highly recommend the Wi-Fi filter, the device filter, the parental controls, the ongoing conversations, which is actually the most important part of all that. Um, but we can't keep them from looking so, or even thinking about what they've already seen, which is imprinted on their brains. I mean, yeah. Yeah. So at some point he, he found out the devastating effects So he had a youth leader that had discussions with them, you know, not knowing who was in his audience and talked about how it can ruin relationships, ruin marriages, Uh, talked about, you know, the the link between pornography and human trafficking and that this is not uh, 
you know, you're in your bedroom and it doesn't hurt anyone else sort of thing, because we are those it's, and we could dive into that in the next half an hour. But, but my point is he learned and he decided, you know what, I don't want this to ruin my life. I don't want to, um, this to upset the relationships I have. If I have a marriage someday, I don't want this to be the thing that's a problem. So he decided on his own and he actually wrote a little excerpt in my book, so for more information about his thoughts, you can read uh, the book and he tells how he came to the conclusion that he wanted out. Now, just wanting out, of course, doesn't mean you're out. Um, and we we walked with him, you know, when he was tempted, we helped to distract him. You know, when he had triggers, we helped him understand what those triggers were, Um you know, and basically I held his hand for a couple of months, you know, even as a 16 year old, he's like, I can't be alone, mom. So, so we, you know, we were next to him a lot. <laughs> he was grocery shopping with me. <laughs> wow. But that's what you do as a parent, right? That's what we signed up for. And I would do it again. It was my privilege and he's my hero. Yeah, he really oh, is. That's amazing. Wow. Um, can you tell me more just about some of the highlights of the important chapters that you cover? I'm sure every chapter is important, but some of your favorites in your book in expectations. Sure. Well, the first section is all about just how did we get here? The deterioration of relationships. And so I just kind of give a little bit of background about like, what, what, what are my talking about? What are we talking about here? Because we think it happened last year, right? You know, it's all these smartphones. Well, it, it's been a slow fade. Yeah, the smartphones ramped it up. But, you know, we've, I was watching a, a show the other day and I'm like, oh, they talk about porn in this show a lot. And it was something I watched when I was younger. I mean, like 30 years ago. And I'm like, wow, I didn't, I didn't, it never even, it never even caught my eye then. Um, So, so it's been years in the work of us getting to this point where, we are in this sexualized culture, um, casual sex is acceptable sort of thing. Uh, but my favorite section, and we've already talked about the habits, my favorite section of the book is actually the last section where it's the restoration and reconciliation, where I talk about um, healing. So personal healing for uh, whoever is in the sexually deviant behavior, but then those of us who've got sort of splattered on, if you will, collateral damage, you know, when this all came down, I was a mess. And, and I'm sure you have in your audience, you have betrayed spouses probably who have, you know, they feel like they've been spit on, kicked on, you know, gut wrenching, all that. I talk about betrayal trauma because I know we use that term with spouses specifically, but as a mom, when I read that term, I was like, oh my gosh, this describes me because I felt completely and totally betrayed by my son. The fact that he was lying to me and deceiving me and doing things behind my back was worse than the behavior he was doing, um, which you probably can relate to. <laughs> and I talk about grief because, you know, as a mom, I grieved and I didn't realize that until later when I was doing some studying and I ran across an article or something and I was like, oh my gosh, this is what I was doing. I was grieving. I was grieving the loss of the son that I thought I knew. I was grieving his future, the, you know, the, the future that I was envisioning for him. And I was grieving the relationship because there was huge sever um, in our relationship. 
And then the last chapter, I talk about reconciliation. So, you know, forgiveness, of course, because Jesus teaches us to forgive. And, and then how do we rebuild that trust? And then how do we, going forward, how do we help our child, if it's our child, um, learn how to have healthy relationships and maintain healthy relationships in the future? So that's mm-hmm. probably my favorite section of the book. Oh, yeah. So what what do you suggest about helping our kids um, learn how to have and maintain healthy relationships? Yeah, just continue to walk in um, what they know is accurate. So, I, I mean, at this point, they should know, okay, look, I need to be honest. I need to um, be trustworthy. Um, and going forward, I need to make sure that I'm not in these sorts of situations again. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that is so helpful. Um, I I want to hear a little bit more about the betrayal, trauma, and grief piece, because I've never considered um, what a parent goes through as betrayal trauma before. I would love to just hear more about that. Sure. Well, and maybe you can add a little bit to it because you probably know more than I do. But I, I mean, I, I just a small section in my book, but when somebody betrays our trust, right? Yeah. You have a relationship, a, a solid relationship with them. And you think, you know, them that they are being trustworthy with you. And then there's that sever. There's that moment. Like, you know, for me, it's that moment that we found out that our son was watching pornography and then it it progressed because later I found out that he's still not being truthful with us. You know, what he said was a minor problem was really a major situation. And he continued to lie um, for the next year and a half about what he was or wasn't doing. And there's just that moment where you feel like, um, you just feel like everything you knew is, has fallen apart. It's like somebody pulled the rug out from underneath of you. You know, that's the best way I can describe it because you feel like you're standing on solid ground and you understand what's going on around you. And I'm someone who likes to live in reality. I don't like people to pretend like, you know, they like my dress if they don't like, I, you know, it might hurt my feelings. I'm, I'm a little sensitive, but I'd still rather know than you lie to me. And so when, when, um, I found out that there was still all this lying and deceiving and, you know, manipulation and behind closed doors and all that stuff, it just was this horrible, situation where I was like, yeah, my whole life that I thought I knew is now not real, not real. Mm -hmm. And it took me a while to pinpoint all of that, right? Because you don't know, you don't know when you're in shock and denial and all those first stages of grief that you're dealing with this trauma and trauma can really set you off, right? So I would be one moment functioning fine. I'm standing at the kitchen sink doing dishes, you know, like you do when you're a mama, you're cooking dinner and all. And then it was like, no, I I can't even do this. I I would be in my room just bawling my eyes out, you know, kneeling at my bed, crying out to God. Like I, I'm, I can't, I just can't do life right now. Um, you know, but then I also knew I have to take care of my family. (laughs) Right. And so I would, 
with God's help, get back up and go back out there and, and start over again. But this was all part of the, the trauma. And you probably know that, you know, your, your thinking isn't straight either. There's moments yeah. where you're like, what is this item in my hand? Because I can't remember the name of it. And it's a pencil. You know what I mean? And I'm like, what is this thing? Why can't I remember the name of that? Yeah. Well, brain fog. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And, and there's all this chemical stuff and all these things going on in your brain where this, the trauma, the thing that hurts so bad is so, uh, I don't know, so in front of your face that you can't see anything else around you and you can't function properly. So yeah. I guess that's how I would describe betrayal trauma. Absolutely. And I think part of what happens to the memory centers of the brain is that all of your memory, when you discover that there's been this life of deception in somebody like your child or your spouse, you, um, your, your, I, I believe it's the hippocampus goes haywire and like, it's like scrambled eggs. It's like, I don't know what, which of my memories are real and which were a lie. And so your brain is just working overtime, trying to make sense of it. And then, yeah, all the cortisol and adrenaline from the feeling of threat. I mean, really what pornography is, it is a threat to our wholeness, to our well-being, to our sanity, to our um, clear thinking, like any addiction is. But this one in particular is so dehumanizing and degrading and sets us up for unrealistic sex expectations, right? Yes, for a yes, real yes. relationship someday. Like that's not, this is not what sex really is it is this is an act it's yeah. it's staged it's it's a lie yeah. yeah yeah and part of for parents who are listening like part of what's so disturbing about today's pornography it, it they they did a study and over 80 percent of top rated porn scenes on Pornhub contained acts of aggression and violence so we're not talking about like a sex scene in an R-rated movie, which I personally do not want to watch. I personally do not need to see other people having sex. It's just right. not what I need to be watching. So, but at least there's a level of maybe it's mutual and it's loving and it's, a, you know, one person with one person, but pornography is nothing like that. So mm -hmm. I know there'll be some moms that are listening to this that have never been exposed to pornography. So we're not talking playboy here. We're no. not talking centerfold. We're not talking R-rated sex scenes. We're talking graphic, violent, degrading, racist, dehumanizing, all, what words am I missing, Barb? Objectifying. <laughs> Oh my gosh, completely objectifying body parts, not whole humans. Yeah. 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 It, and, and this is what is training our children because when they want to know about sex, they're not asking their parents, Yeah, they're Googling it. And this is what they think is real. And, and so that's why I stand in front of the classroom and say, it is unrealistic and, and these actors and actresses, and I hate to even call them that are actually being exploited to be there to begin with. And so they're not really wanting to do that. And they're, you know, it's, it's craziness, craziness, and they don't know it's unrealistic because they don't know, they don't have something to 
um, compare it to. You and I see that and we're like, you know what? That is, that is so wrong. That is so false. That is not real life. Yeah. But when you're 10 and 12, and this is your first exposure to sexual, uh, acts, you don't know. And so you think that's for real. And that's one of the reasons why child on child abuse is on the rise because, Oh, that's how you do it. I'm going to go over here and do that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Do you have any statistics on how much um, child on child abuse has gone up in Um, recent years due to pornography exposure? Nothing that I mean, I have numbers going through my head, but nothing that I can solidly say. I know it's very difficult to study that and 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 collect data about minors, but it is it's a huge problem. Yeah. Yeah. And you're hearing more and more. I mean, we're hearing, you know, therapists and counselors and, and people, life coaches, mental health coaches saying, you know, this is invading our world. And more and more, when I talk with um, adults and children, this is something we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So Barb, what are your top tips for a parent listening to this? I'm going to just say, get Barb's book. That's my tip right now. Get her book because this is not just about getting a filter. It's about educating and equipping our kids to have healthy relationships. I love that your book is called um, helping the next generation navigate healthy relationships because it's not focused on don't do this, don't do that. At least not in the title. I'm sure you uncover the damaging effects of pornography yeah. For a parent to understand, but also this is something that could help our kids develop more intrinsic motivation Yes, to, yes. I want to have a real healthy relationship. I want to be loved and chosen and accepted unconditionally by a lifelong partner. And so, yeah. What are your top tips for parents listening? So yeah, my tips would be, first of all, educate yourself. So learn what it is we're talking about. And and just by listening to this podcast, you've probably learned something, but, you know, do some research and then educate your children. Careful Careful how you do research people. (laughs) Yeah. Make sure you have some of those filters that we're talking about. Right. Um, Right. And, uh, and then communicate Mm -hmm. for sure. And one of the tips I love to give our, my parents is look, I, this is an awkward subject. If you've never talked about it before. And so stand in front of the mirror and say some words that you're not, you haven't, you're not used to saying, you know, say pornography 10 times to yourself in the mirror so that when you go to your child, it's a little more familiar and then just step into the awkward because, you know, that first conversation, unless they're two, you know, that first conversation, the child might look at you like, what, what, what are we doing? What are we talking about? So you know, just step into the awkward and even use me as an excuse. Hey, I heard this podcast today and I learned that the average age of first exposure to pornography is somewhere between the age of eight and 12. What do you think about that? Have you ever heard that word? You know, just ask some open-ended questions that are not um, judgmental, you know, again, back to the tone and having a smile on our face and maybe do it while you're doing something else while driving in the car cooking supper together and talk about it though, you know, bring it up and say, I, I heard some, some information today. What do you know? Ask an open-ended question because we want to know what they know before we start telling them what to do, you know? And of course the younger they are, the more directive we can be, but the older they are, the more we need to be able to 
be quiet and listen to what they have to say so that they do see us as someone who's willing to have that conversation and not be reactive. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. so hard. Yeah. We have to really be able, be able to regulate our own emotions so that we're not reacting in right. terror and anger and all that. And when we do apologize, yeah. I mean, I yeah. own it. I, oh, yes, exactly. Own it. I always hope that my apology, seeking forgiveness behavior speaks louder than my original sinful behavior to begin with. So yeah, be sure that if we've already blown it, you know what? I'm so sorry. I, I didn't do that well. And I I'd like to revisit this because I want to try again. Will you let me try again? Yeah. 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 That's so helpful. What, um, what filters do you recommend or do you use? We have used on our Wi-Fi. We've used Circle, Disney Circle, before. We currently use Griffin, um, okay. and there's pros and cons to both. Griffin, I believe, is a little faster. Uh, Disney Circle will seem to be a little more user friendly. Um, we also have on our devices. We use right now Covenant Eyes, but I know that Canopy is a really good one, and that's kind of an up and coming one. And um, I have a discount code on my website if anybody wants to use Canopy, uh, also for for Covenant Eyes. And then Bark is one too. We use Bark and okay. Open DNS. Say it again. Open DNS. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, and so you're more familiar with that one then than I would be. But there there's several out there, but those are the top three that I recommend. And then of course using the parental controls. And I know like Nicosi is doing a huge, great job at trying to get some of these apps to, you know, come all pre-filtered, if you will, pre-set in the sense that the parental controls are already available. Um, but until then, we need to be, know every single app, like what can I do? What setting can I use uh, in order to make sure that my kids, the, that it's not coming at them? Because yeah. pornography is preying on our kids. Like the pornography wants to find them. Yeah. So yeah, we can't keep them from looking, but we can certainly try to keep pornography from finding them. That is so true. The porn industry, multi-billion dollar industry that wants to hook kids young so that they have lifelong users, lifelong customers. Yep. Um, I do want to say to our parents, um, be aware that lots of places that you may even use like Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, YouTube, um, pornography, there is pornography. It might not be X-rated, uh, but there's definitely nudity and phishing going on using those sites. Snapchat is obvious, right? I mean, like there's a lot of, there's been a lot of talk about Snapchat and how risky it is. What was that? Discord. Discord. Yeah, that's another one. The kids all know about that. And um, we've talked about um, in in the classroom, a human trafficking ring that found kids through Discord. So yeah, they'll ask for nudes or whatever. They can find it. Yeah. When my daughter was like two years old, we were watching Anna and Elsa sing Let It Go on YouTube. And you know what the ad was? For that, there was one time there was an ad for the movie Fifty Shades of Grey, right? Which is like basically porn in a movie form. And then another time we were, I was sitting there with her to watch these, you know, Frozen music videos. 
Another time it was some other like sex app um, for the phone. And so we, we use YouTube kids. It's still, you still have to monitor it, you guys, but like, do you get into the, the, like in an iPhone, you go into the parent settings. There is a way to like eliminate YouTube, like, or allow your child to have five minutes and you only allow that when you're with them or whatever. I, I know this might seem super strict, it might feel like we're are their worlds are are being made smaller and smaller, but the risks of using some of these things without monitoring, filtering, or being present are huge. Yeah. Well, and we're protecting. We're not yeah. restricting. We're protecting. Yes. We wouldn't allow strangers into our house by just opening the door and letting them come in. So why are we doing that with the phones? Yeah. You know, and again, it's just perspective us us remembering that it is our job to protect our children, to make a safe environment for them. And that includes the phone or the computer, the tablet or the iPad, whatever, whatever device, or the smart TV, whatever. So. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Barb, for taking time to talk to our audience. Friends, we'll have more information about how to find Barb and the name of her book in our show notes. And until the next time that I am hosting a podcast with you guys, I am holding out hope for you.